I firmly believe God had put me there for a purpose and a reason. And I said, God, if this is to go, it's in your hands because I've done everything I can to get money together to make this go. And uh, it came through. Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, or TPOW as we call it. I am your host, Dustin Service. Listener, that is the voice of Adam Trainer, who is the owner of Grizzly Lodge, which is a snowmobile resort in the middle of nowhere, yet it has five-star chefs, hot tubs. Uh, it is an amazing experience for many people in the snowmobile scene. Now, as you can imagine, having a, uh, you know, he mentions it, 50 kilometers away from Pavement Lodge in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of winter, uh, the infrastructure and running a business, uh, it's staff is a close to eight to 10 people uh, and managing the elements, managing wealthy individuals, managing guests get there uh, from many places not close to British Columbia. This is a, a good episode. He's got a number of good tips and tricks and uh, for business ownership and uh, and yet he's not a process-driven person. So I, I encourage you to, to have a listen and glean some of the nuggets he has. And for any of the snowmobilers listening who've been declined for life insurance or had trouble getting life insurance due to snowmobiling. I am a fellow uh, snowmobiler, regular snowmobiler, and I also own life insurance and have had multiple applications and negotiated my way through uh, different scenarios and worked with insurers. So I can help you with that. Send me a direct message. I'm happy to uh, help you. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. All right, listener, I want you to imagine uh, driving about 35 kilometers into the forest and then unloading your snowmobile and snowmobiling about 12 kilometers, maybe 15 into the forest and coming around, you know, the, the last corner before you approach a massive lodge in the middle of nowhere, lights on, huge vaulted ceilings, the hot tub going. This is an oasis in the middle of nowhere. I've personally been to this lodge a couple of times and I now have the honor and, and the privilege and I'm super excited to have the owner of Grizzly Lodge on the podcast today. And Adam, thanks a lot for being on the show today. Hey, you betcha, Dustin. Super excited to uh, chat with you about this. And also, thank you for being a client many times. Uh, we appreciate the support. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Uh, I hope I can get back soon. But the, the parallel and, and what, what's important to, uh, you know, I think we should go back, uh, actually, before I, I was going to go somewhere and I'm tangenting because this is an important story of the origin of Grizzly Lodge. And, you know, sure. again, this is a, uh, this is a wealth podcast, you know, finance, money, business, success. There was, uh, I'll say a lack of success at the start of Grizzly Lodge. So bring us up to speed with what Grizzly Lodge is. And, and I want to dive a little bit into the story of, you know, 2004, somebody had an idea to build this and it yeah. didn't work out so well. So fill us in, in that backstory. Yeah, so I mean, a Grizzly Lodge as today is uh, what we consider uh, Western Canada or Canada's only backcountry snowmobile lodge where we cater exclusively to snowmobilers our entire season. And uh, you can't drive to it in a vehicle, so it's snowmobile access only, which makes it pretty cool, as you kind of described. But um, uh, it was originally built in 2004 by uh, several German businessmen who had a vision of doing a skiing operation out of it. And uh, unfortunately for them, I'm not exactly sure what all went wrong. But uh, by spring of 2005, they'd went bankrupt uh, and they managed to get the lodge built as far as the timber frame structure and whatnot. But uh, by 2005, it was... Uh, it was bankrupt and sat empty actually for a couple of years before some friends of mine bought it off the bank and kind of had uh, the vision for, you know, maybe picking up the ski side of things as well as snowmobiling. Um, but as 
retired or semi-retired millionaires, they realized quickly this was going to be a long haul with a lot of work. Um, so that's where they brought me on board in 2007 to just start uh, working on the place. Uh, being empty for a couple of years, it needed a lot of work. People had been in there partying and destroyed a lot of things. And I was just stoked uh, to get a job working at this lodge in the middle of nowhere uh, with snow everywhere because I'd been an avid snowmobiler since I was about seven, eight years old. And that was my passion. So dream come true to even get a job doing something like that. Um, so come 2009, uh, these businessmen decided uh, it was time to hang it up. They bit off more than they wanted to chew, and they pitched me a, a deal to buy the lodge from them and start the business as we know it today as Grizzly Lodge. Um, so I was 24 years old at the time, and I said, heck no, I don't have the money, and this is scary. It's a big undertaking. But uh, they coaxed me on and said, no, it's either we board it up or you take a kick at it. So in 2009, December 1st, uh, the deal was done, and I kicked off Grizzly Lodge as we know it today. Well, that's uh, I, there's so many places I could go with that, but I, I, you know, risk management is something that we talk to clients a lot about. And wh- where, where do you think, like, do you know, like, after going through building it up, where, where do you think the risk was in, in that? You know, I can think of a few things, but you were our boots on the ground. Like, what was, what was the most unexpected in the process? Well, I, I, <laughs> My main concern when when uh, signing the deal on this uh, was, you know, it's one thing to buy a business with with a set of books and some revenue that's happening. You go, okay, I can I can kind of see some light here or at least a direction, and that's not what I bought at all. I literally bought an empty building in the woods. Gorgeous building, still needed a lot of work, but. Um, so for me, I, and not really any business experience. I I just knew how to work hard. And that's kind of what it needed at the time. So from a risk perspective, I, the risk was there's nothing here to, to jump from as far as business goes. So um, I, I struggled the first several seasons on, on scraping enough money together to just put some diesel in the tanks for the generators and pay some insurance. Um, so year three was kind of a bit of a pivot point where it was like make or break. And uh, I kind of got to a point where I, uh, you know, I, I, I firmly believe God had put me there for a purpose and a reason. And I said, God, if this is to go, it's in your hands because I've done everything I can to get money together to make this go. And uh, it came through. So that, uh, you know, little by little, it was like a little more light, a little more light. Uh, a few more people came, a few more people came and uh, it started to put some wind in the sails. I think it's important that we spend a couple minutes just because I, I, I know we've talked to, you know, people might have a vision, you know, listener, you know, if you have a vision of a, a cabin in the woods, it, it might be, you know, a 10 by 20 cabin. Other people might have been to other lodges and seen, you know, bigger structures in Europe, but paint us a yeah. picture of the infrastructure and what yeah. goes into day to day to get this, like this business. Like, I think I, once you explain, I think a lot of people are going to go, Oh my God, this Adam trainer, he's freaking crazy. But, uh, <laughs> let, let us, let us have a, a little sample of what it takes to run day to day and what the infrastructure looks like up in the forest. Yeah. So we'll start with the lodge. Uh, it's, um, approximately 12,000 square feet between the basement floor, which is a full basement. 
Uh, and then the main floor where the main hall is in your dining area and all your rooms. And then there's an upstairs with another uh, row of rooms up there. Uh, so we accommodate 29 guests at a time, and we usually have eight to nine staff on at a time. So there's roughly 35-ish, 36 people, 37 sometimes uh, people up there. And uh, we're 50K from pavement. So the majority, in fact, everything that we have to survive on their food supplies, you name it, uh, comes up a logging road about 20K, 30K, depending on uh, where they're logging. And then up the snowmobile trail it goes, uh, and we have a we have a pickup truck with tracks on it. We've got a Haglin's tract unit, which is a military tract unit. Um, so it's day to day now. I feel like, oh, it's just routine, right? But um, it's overwhelming if you stop and think about all the moving pieces just to have food on the table every night for 35-plus people. Um, and the the what-ifs of, you know, if this breaks down, how do we manage that with no access with vehicles? So occasionally we've had to use a helicopter. Occasionally, uh, you know, we've had a 20-foot trailer behind our snowcat uh, hauling big equipment in and out on a set of skis I had made for it. It just... It, it does, even even for me, sometimes I just shake my head and go, how does this place run every day? But uh, I've, <laughs> I really, uh, what's what's put me in a, in a position of success many times is break it down, do what you need to do in that moment, in that day, in that week, in that month. Um, because I, so many times I just get overwhelmed, but I just back up and I go, okay, what do I need to be doing? right now and do that and little by little it, it just it, it breeds success when you just stop looking at the massive monster in front of you and just put your put your put your hammer uh, to work and uh, keep hitting every nail in front of you one thing that that uh, impressed me so correct me if i'm wrong you've got uh, you know exquisite food uh rooms are very nice you got hot tub uh, you've got waitresses, bartenders. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, this is a, this is quite an infrastructure. So, for a lot of listeners who are business owners, managing staff, you know, getting people to be excited about their business. How yeah. are you able, season after season, to get staff to and maybe break down? How, like, do the staff are they on shift? Do they leave every night? How, how does that work? Yeah. So. Uh, the staff, especially in a hospitality type business like this, is which I mean, it's all about snowmobiling. But at the end of the day, we're in hospitality, uh, so your our staff is are so key, and just having the right ones. So they, the majority of them work uh, two weeks on, uh, and they stay at the lodge for two weeks straight. They have a staff room in the basement, uh, and then they get one week off. So the majority of them are on a two and one rotation, and then our chefs and massage therapists uh, usually do two weeks on, two weeks off. Uh, so there's two of them each and they just back each other up. Uh, so as far as recruiting staff and maintaining them, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of cool now because the lodges become very popular and we actually don't struggle that much getting staff because there's so many, especially young people that just have seen it on Instagram, have watched the videos or are into the snowmobiling sport and just want to work at a fun place with the environment that we kind of uh, uh, create and keep there. So the culture of the business uh, really seems to attract the right people 
and and keep them. And fortunately now for me as a business owner, I've got several staff that have been with us for many years. Uh, lodge managers, seven, eight years, another one, six years, other ones, four and five. So we're really getting some continuity on just consistent good staff. And I, I attribute that to a lot of the culture of, of how we operate. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's super important. And paint, paint us a picture. So the guests that are coming to stay at, at this you know, retreat, like who, who are they? And is this a, you know, a young person's, you know, thing or is, you know, the, I assume maybe not due, you know, due to price point, uh, but at the same time, yeah. uh, it's great value for as a, as a guest, but who, like help me understand some of the stories that you hear from, you know, these people who have, you know, spent their hard earned money to be in this amazing experience. Like what, is there a vibe you you notice? Is there a, a, a sentiment or is there a type of person that you that you you know have have recognized that are coming to the resort? Yeah, um, so it's it's it has evolved for sure over the years. I mean, in the early days, it was primarily localish BC people, um, but as as the business kind of started to grow and we realized we needed to market uh, to uh, further away, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba out east down into the states primarily because if you're from bc uh you you might be great people and you love snowmobiling and you love the lodge but it's not unique in that it's kind of like going for a holiday in your backyard right whereas we found people were more appreciative and uh more interested in coming longer uh and spending more money when we marketed to uh further away so right now majority of our clients are from alberta east we do have lots of, or some, I'd say some good BC clients still, but a lot of people travel at least, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours to get to the lodge. And now many are flying from Ontario. Uh, they'll fly into Kamloops or Kelowna and we'll pick them up there and set them up with rental sleds and whatnot. But as far as the demographic goes, uh, you're looking, I would say 80% of our clients are between 35 and 55. And out of those, uh, I'm going to say maybe 60% roughly are business owners themselves. Typically, if they're successful, they've got a little more disposable income and they've got the time that they can get away and uh, come out and enjoy it. So uh, I get a, a lot of opportunities to sit down with uh, other business owners uh, and just chat life. And that's pretty cool to see these guys in in a relaxed atmosphere where they're they're cutting loose a little bit. And they can share kind of from where they're coming from. Well, it's, it's an interesting point because, you know, if they go back to you at 24, uh, you know, you're, there's a lot of career paths you could have taken and you chose to take one. Did you know it was going to be that hard? Like you could have taken a different one, but obviously you recognize if the business failed with two groups of business owners with lots of dough and you roll in without dough, uh, with a bit <laughs> of passion, uh, you know, was, was that something that always kind of sat with you or was that just, you know, shit ass luck that you just kind of took it on? Or were you always like, you know what? I'm not really into this for the money. I'm into this for blank. Yeah. I, I certainly would not have in my wildest dreams thought when I started at 24 that the business would be where it is today as successful and popular. Uh, there's, there's just no way. My drive to take on the business was was pretty much my passion for snowmobiling. Um, so that's I, I leaned on that pretty heavy. If I didn't care for snowmobiling, there's no way I would have taken it on. But the sledding was great. Um, so I was like, 
you know, my worst case scenario was I went bankrupt at the time. And I think I had seven grand in the bank and a 2002 Dodge pickup. And I was like, I can live with <laughs> starting over at 24, 25, 26, whatever. Right. Um, so it was my passion for sledding and just the ability to work hard. And I remember that we, we used to have people come for one night, three, four, five guys. And they would come and sometimes I would cook for them. Sometimes we'd have somebody there to help cook. And these people would come one night. I don't know, we were charging 50, 60 bucks, something like that. And they would have such a riot and just leave with huge smiles on their face. And I remember thinking to myself, if they love it here and it's such a great time, there has to be more people. And that's where the the momentum started to build. I went, if they love it, more have to love it. And then more would come and they love it. I'm going, everybody that comes has this amazing experience here and it wasn't it wasn't like plush like it is today there was no hot tub there was no you know gourmet food but they still loved it so that kind of gave me some energy to go man there's there's something here the money isn't here yet but i think we can do that how how important are process and system for day-to-day activity around the lodge you know now it's it's fairly important um I naturally myself am not a super organized, detailed guy. Uh, I, I I do most things in my head, and that's a personal growth uh, thing I'm working on is becoming more organized, becoming more detailed, uh, because as a business grows, it just requires that. So uh, as I was told early on from another business owner, he said, never be afraid to hire up. Don't ever be afraid to hire somebody that's better than you in certain areas or smarter than you in certain areas. So I took that to heart and uh, I've always been uh, really keen about hiring people for the positions uh, that I'm not great at. And uh, fortunately for me, I've got some really good staff on hand right now. Tom, my lodge manager, he's an ultra, you know, detailed system process type guy and uh, he makes it happen. So that's that's big thing for me is surround yourself with uh, with people where you got some weak spots. That's, uh, yeah, it's such a good point to make. And I think that, you know, if you had to, to narrow it down where, you know, obviously businesses go in sort of a growth, then there's maybe a plateau, then a growth. What has been sort of yeah. one thing that sort of launched you guys into, or maybe go back to the older days if it's slower growth now, but, but that, you know, really sort of, you know, again, just for, for listeners, uh, to get into the, to the camp, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but it's very hard to get in. You need to find a hole in the schedule, book your dates. And then before you leave, you got to book those dates for next year or else you're probably not going to get in because it's full. So, you know, we're talking about significant bookings, uh, but that didn't happen overnight. So was there a, there was right. one thing or one, um, was it the hot tub? Was it, you know, improving <laughs> the trail? Like what was it that got, you know, a bump up in sort of out of a plateau? Yeah. Uh, there's a couple, couple things that, that jumped to mind right away is first off, uh, in 2010, uh, I had Snowmobiler TV come up, uh, which is an outfit out of uh, out east, and uh, they shot a uh, it was like a three to five minute uh, promo video uh, of the lodge, kind of what we were doing there, the food, the sledding, what was going on. Had some client uh, interviews, and uh, that also came with a front uh, cover page uh, ad in their magazine, and that was uh, I believe it came out in 2011 uh, when the show aired. And uh, we hit the front page of the magazine. That was a big launch that uh, 
I didn't anticipate how many people that covered and how many people were sitting Sunday morning watching their snowmobiler TV and went, Hey, that looks cool. I want to go there. So we got, we got a good bump that following season of people that seen that advertisement. They loved the video, the interviews. Um, that was the first kind of first bump in, in bookings and, and popularity. And then it was a couple years later, uh, world-renowned, arguably still one of the best snowmobilers in the world, Chris Brandt, uh, ended up up in BC here for a deal uh, with a Polaris dealership. And they brought him up to the lodge for a day ride to ride with some clients as it was kind of out of the way and they didn't want, you know, hundreds of people chasing Chris Brandt around. Uh, so Chris and I met, uh, we rode together a bit and we hit it off right away. Uh, and Chris said, man, this is so cool. Uh, we need to talk business. So in the, in the following year, we started, uh, Brandt's Backcountry Adventure at Grizzly Lodge. And, uh, if you know anything about Chris Brandt, the guy's got huge reach in the snowmobile community. And they started coming up and doing a couple weeks in December and a week in April. And through their social media and marketing, they were just hammering the content out for us. And that was another massive big bump, uh, putting us on the, Kind of on the snowmobile stage per se, where we've just seen so many people, new new faces coming because uh, they'd seen us through that exposure. Well, it's a ton of exposure. I actually, sadly, uh, was booked for two uh, years in a row to be riding with them, but due to COVID, it didn't uh, happen. But we still right stayed with you guys. So uh, yeah, hopefully he comes back at some other time. Um, so Chris, if you're listening, uh, get, let's get it together. Uh, yeah, let's let's so- make it happen. One thing that's uh, that's new for business owners, and again, lots of people are uh, embracing it. Some people are still slower to the game. I would consider myself slower to the game, but social media for your business, it's a real thing. And uh, and how how are you guys using it, or what what's sort of been working to to get that that awareness uh, on social media? And more, I'm asking, uh, sort of, do you do it? But how much time it takes to create content that I hear a lot of business owners, oh, I know I'm supposed to do, you know, social media, but I'm just too tired to just keep shooting videos or I don't have the knack <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but what, yeah. what do you guys do? Yeah, um, so we do use it a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of old school myself, but I, I definitely recognize its value. And uh, I kind of started seeing the value in it uh, probably five, six, seven years ago when we were paying, you know, $2,000 for a print ad in a magazine. And, you know, the magazine would run once and that was that, right? And then I discovered, you know, Facebook uh, ads and Google AdWords. And for, you know, a couple hundred dollars, the reach you can gain uh, to very direct uh, a demographic of people. I We just seen immediate uh, bookings come from, you know, a couple hundred dollars investment versus a couple thousand. Right. So that that kind of got me on. OK, I, maybe I don't like social media. Maybe I don't like doing the digital stuff, but you can't argue with the results. And as a business owner, dollars and cents. Right. So we've went that route primarily. We don't have a dedicated social media person. Uh, so it's kind of a conglomeration uh, of, of staff that contribute to it. And honestly, we could certainly improve because it it, it does consume time, uh, especially keeping the content fresh and, you know, interesting. But it's in this day and age for who you can reach and the cost it takes you to reach that potential client, hands down, it, you'd be crazy not to be doing it. Yeah, oh, I, I 100% agree. One thing I want to circle back to is, uh, you know, you're, 
you know, been, it's a decade of being immersed with, you know, wealthy people, having wealthy connections and visiting, you know, again, fireside, mm. you know, beer side, scotch side, whatever you want to say, uh, you're visiting you the people. What, you know, it, it, you know, I ask it a couple of different ways, but if you think of like the five richest guests, you know, do you think mm-hmm. or feel like they were the five wealthiest guests, you know, and if, if not, then where, where, what do you see as a, as a, a picture of wealth? You know, um, I can't, I can't say definitively, but I'm going to talk a little more generally on some of the, what I would consider most, you know, the richest people I've met there. And there's been some very successful people there. And I hear a consistent theme from many of them, not all of them, but many of them say, man, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids when they were younger. Uh, I wish I would have had more time for my family over the last 20 years. And these guys are, you know, average 50, maybe as old as 60, some as young as 40. And money is no issue. They can afford anything they want in the world, basically. And I, I hear them talk about their regrets as far as their personal lives and especially their families. Um, so when I think about wealth, uh, although money is great to have per se, uh, I think about my family. I like my kids, my wife, and I want to spend time with them. So for me, wealth, I've, I've been taking the, the benefits of my business and over the past three, four or five years or so, I've really been working on hire more staff, hire the right people for the right places so I can be freed up more to have more time with my kids and my family. So I don't think uh, by any means I could say the richest people I've met coming through our business and wonderful people, uh, but I wouldn't say they're the wealthiest by any means. And it's primarily a product of just chasing that that big dream of, of a lot of money and many of them when they've got there, I went, man, I've missed out on so much other valuable things that you can't necessarily buy directly with money. Here's something that my wife and I have been talking about lately is, you know, if you're not stretching, you know, your, your sort of mind to make, let's just say, make more money. But if you're not stretching your mind to sort of expand or grow, then, you know, if you didn't have those thoughts and feelings 10 years ago, then you wouldn't have the program you have today. So, I hear the same thing. You know, again, we deal with lots of wealthy people and uh, lots of people over 55. It's older business and you'll look back. But what I think is hard to quantify is you're, you forget certain things along the way and then you remember little pieces of what's kind of present at that moment. So when you're older, you know, maybe you're not seeing your kids as much because they got their own kids and they're busy. And so you're missing them. And so then you kind of have these thoughts creep in. So. Uh, right. you know, I'm trying to quantify now, especially as a, you know, 41 year old go getter type person who has young kids that, you know, yes, you know, you know, doing that family time is, is super important and fun. And how do you get that? Say you know, balance is such a overused word, but how do you, you get that, that, that feeling? If you're an entrepreneur, that feeling of excitement and growth and stretching your mind, whether it's you say, I'm going to 10 yep. or I'm going to do whatever. But then recognize, you know, you need to be in touch, you know, you know, with family. So I, you know, I, you touched on a little bit that you're pouring money back into, you know, the lodge and staff. You know, you mentioned you're not very really a process person, but is it like very methodical of like this much goes for, you know, Adam and, and your wife? Or is it more just like, uh, oh, you know, we, we got some extra money and the staff are all good. We'll invest a bit or we'll pay down debt or whatever your, your, your ideas are. Yeah. 
Um, I would say it's it's definitely looser because I'm not that structured of a guy. But um, it was about four years ago or so. Um, I remember having uh, some drinks with a client at Christmas time, and him and his wife were there. And uh, he had said, "So, how many hours, you know, approximately, are you working a day right now?" And I said, uh, "Well, roughly eighteen, sometimes twenty. Uh, it's just the you know busy time of year in December. We're just getting things rolling. It snows a lot. The road needs graded. Snowcat, this that." And they're looking at me like, you're crazy. Like, <laughs> you can't do that forever. And I'm like, I know. It's just I don't have somebody to do these things. And I'm the capable guy, right? But I remember it was kind of that moment where I'm like, I. it was a bit of a kick in the pants of like, you j- you have to stop and think about this. It's got Your business has to be sustainable because if it's not sustainable, I mean, you're just going to burn out and it's not going to be good for you or your family. So that was kind of a turning point for me where I was like, I know our, this business is making money. I know we're, we're paying our debt down, but I, uh, I need to invest more in additional staff to cover these hours in the day that I really shouldn't be working. Um, so that's kind of where that started. And, and with that over the past, say four years or so, aside from the bumps with COVID, uh, you know, hiring more staff hasn't actually affected my, you know, uh, net income at the end of the year. In fact, it's grown. Um, so that's, that's been a encouraging because I was always worried about like, man, I want my financials to look good. I really want my financials to look good. One day I might want to sell my business and I, I, in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, I don't want to screw up the books, right? But yeah. I'm learning that, you know, just because you you spend more on staff or investments doesn't necessarily mean that's going to, you know, affect your the value of your business in in its books. Yeah, I think we're we're so uh, and we're you know roughly the same age. I think in our age group, we're in such short increments. You know, I hear it from investment people. I want to invest, but I want to double my money next year. It's like, well. <laughs> That's, that's that's not usually how wealth you know is created, but it, it's the same with with numbers. And you don't really know, you know. I always like the analogy, like, well, like you said, if I I'm you know profitable, I'm saving a bit of money. If I saved none, and we were still sort of net profitable, but we had two more staff, then you know those staff would have to really not be doing much to make the business a bit better, because someone would make a system better, someone would. You make the experience yep. better than more word of mouth. And so just kind of like, but you've got to, you know, you've got to take the plunge. Like I always say to people, why don't you just take Fridays off? And then they'll say, well, no, I couldn't. Like there's, there, there's, so, there's this thing, all these different excuses. And then my next line mm-hmm. is, there's never going to be an email that comes in and says, you are approved to take Fridays off. Yeah. You just literally <laughs> have to do it. And then yep. everything else fills in, which it sounds like you're, you're doing right now. Cause, um, yeah, plus the the uncertainty of uh you know the risk of all the different moving parts and uh, yeah. Well, so that, that, well, um, just to add to that quickly, there. Um, the other thing I've noticed it does is when, as a business owner, you step back a little bit and you give your staff some room to do their jobs. Uh, as business owners, I think often we always think we're the best person to accomplish things, and that's part of entrepreneurs that's part of who we are but that's what makes us do what we do but at the same time i've i've witnessed it over the past several years now with me doing less and allowing my staff to do more and just trusting them with some stuff they take more ownership and i i've got a few examples of stories we if we have time later of where um it's actually been better for the business to have them doing 
some of the work and uh, making some of the decisions than myself. And that's humbling, but uh, also very encouraging. Well, let, let a story rip right now. We got time. So okay. what's, uh, so, what's the story that stands out? Here, pro- here, here's, a, here's a quick, yeah, yeah, quick, quick little story on. Uh, so I probably a couple of years ago, something like that. Uh, some clients there on snow bikes, uh, snow bike breaks down. They managed to get it down off the mountain, dragging it on its side and trying to ride it out and whatnot. They get to the lodge. I'm not there. I have uh, one of my right-hand man, uh, Taylor. He's there. And then Lisa's working in the office. And they said, uh, hey, um, can we uh, can we borrow a toboggan uh, and uh, haul our sled down to the parking lot and just leave the toboggan there? And Taylor said, uh, well, you can't borrow it. Oh, I can rent it to you. It'll be 200 bucks, uh, you know, go ahead. I said, 200 bucks? Like, are you crazy? Like, we just need to use it to go down the trail 30K to their trucks. And he said, well, you know, here's the deal. I've got X amount of staff here, and i got to send one of them back down the trail later to pick this toboggan up. There's fuel in the sled. There's time. He's gone. Who knows if the sled's going to get broken on its way down there because it's not really meant for hauling a snow bike. Here's the price, and we'll help you. Like, by all means, we'll help you, but it's going to cost you something. And the client said, okay, yeah, no, not a problem. They got their bike down. They were thrilled. They were happy. And we got our toboggan back. Nothing was broken. The client was happy. And we made a couple hundred bucks that I would have never done myself because I went, oh, Jim or Bob or whoever it was. Yeah, don't worry about it. Go for it. We'll figure it out later. We'll pick up the pieces wherever it gets left. And, you know, I would just suck it up. And my staff, they're like, this is a business. We'll help people. And sometimes they make, you know, a generous um gestures to help people out without charging but when it when they see necessary that like hey no we we have to run this like a business they do a fabulous job and sometimes i'm weak in that going ah we'll just help them but i'm like man these staff see that like they got to make a paycheck and they see how that paycheck's made so it's cool to see them take some ownership and go no no we we can handle this and we can still keep the customers happy without always cleaning up the mess later on the boss said oh just let it go well, I think that is, uh, and, and the snowmobile industry is a bro, uh, thing. And we, you know, we help each other out. Uh, you know, I'm fresh off last weekend, you know, AST2 avalanche yeah. course. And, you know, everyone just, you know, that industry, the, you know, the company I went with, it was great, but it was very somewhat loose. But if you think about it, it's like this, these are businesses, you know, where it's not suit and tie mm-hmm. businesses, but at the same time, there, there's people are, are willing to pay. And it's, you know, that line of, you know, not, you're not part of the bro club because you're not helping me out. But at the end of right. the day, if a person can articulate, Hey, like you're probably a business owner. You understand? I, I can't, I can't do that for free. Um, and you got limited staff. So it's, yeah, you know, it's totally a, a balance. What, uh, one, give us a, a snapshot just as a, a closing sort of comment. You know, you and your wife work together, correct? Um, actually she doesn't work in the business per se at all. Uh, we have, uh, three little boys, uh, two, four and six actually just turned seven. Um, so she's a very busy stay at home mom and actually homeschooling as well. One of them. So, uh, there's no, uh, extra time per se for work outside of the home. So if, uh, you know, you as a, as a hard charging business owner, some of the concepts we talk about as spouses and, uh, you know, your partner, money, and yourself is a is a dynamic and uh, interesting three way. But for you guys, you know, you're running, you know, the business. How do you manage or, or attempt to try and keep 
the family life happy and also stay focused on the business? Is there any tools, tricks, hacks, uh, books you've read, anything that sort of has been a breakthrough on, you know, managing, you know, it could be the business. It could be, you know, you want to get a new snow cat and she's, you know, more conservative on the money side. And she says, can't believe you're going to spend, you know, 200,000 on that. You know, how do you, how do you work and stay fluid uh, and, and efficient with your spouse and the business and your money? Yeah. So, uh, in in uh, our marriage and uh, our business, um, we weren't married when I started the lodge in 2009. Uh, we uh, met later and were married in 2014. So the business was semi under underway when we got married. Um, and fortunately, um, through our relationship, uh, she has trusted me to handle all business uh, transactions and decisions as far as money goes. Uh, we talk about it. But um, she always supports me in any of those type of decisions. So we never, that I can think of, have any arguments about how we're going to operate the business on a financial side. Um, and it's worked, honestly, I think it's been very good because I have business owner friends that uh, are not able to operate like that. And it's challenging because uh, it's your wife and you obviously want to keep that relationship good. So we've kept that separate. And I think that's really helped uh, me as a business owner to just make confident decisions without second guessing myself on, you know, is this going to cause a, a fight with my wife? Because I know she has my back and she trusts my decisions. Um, so that's, that's kind of how we've managed to keep that side of it. And then on the, the time side, uh, the struggle for me is, and I've said it, we've discussed it uh, several times, me and my wife is sometimes I wish I just had a, a nine to five job because um, at nine o'clock daddy's supposed to be at work. If he's not at work, he might lose his job. When you're a business owner, there's no nine to five. There's no, well, I have to be gone. So that's a, that's been a struggle for me as far as managing that side of it, where it's like, well, can you stay home an extra day? Well, yeah, I can. Will it end the business? No. But so that's, that's been a real challenge for me just personally. And she's very good about it, but it's always hard to like, when you say no, could have you said yes? Well, in many times I could have. So I'm still working on, uh, my personal growth on that side of things as far as managing, you know, when is it key that I, I have to be gone and when can I be flexible? And I, I'm, I imagine a lot of business owners maybe feel that same weight of just, uh, it's you're the, you're the boss. You, all the decisions run through you. So when you're having to say yes or no to your wife and kids, that's, that's tough because they know that there's not somebody telling you that you have to be somewhere doing something. That's right. Yeah. It's very hard to articulate uh, or, or quantify, you know, well, if I didn't work today, then three guests aren't going to come next month. You know, uh, you, exactly. can't, you can't really do, you know, if you don't come forever, <laughs> then yeah, it would go uh, negative. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think I just, I'm, I'm just doing my 2023 calendar. Uh, it's stuck up on the door. You can't see, but it's basically I've blocked out, you know, everything, uh, right down to kids' hockey games and hockey practices. And, uh, you know, I, I've realized I can't go to every single one. Uh, mm-hmm. just, you know, you've got, sometimes you got a meeting. And so coming to grips with, okay, uh, being aware of that, if I can't go to every one, well, if I drove them to school for five days in a row, uh, you know, can I make up some of that time or, you know, really utilizing? Cause again, as a business owner, you, you maybe don't make time for family trips or you don't, uh, allocate, but, 
you know, you can. And if you think about it far enough in advance, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's easier to do than. So, you know, now's it, you know, if this is podcast is coming out in December, now's a great time to start mapping out 2023 and, and looking at, you know, what are the things that are important to you? What are the things that are of value to you? What are the things that, yep. you know, if you looked at back and said, man, that was such a great year, I did X. Uh, and, yep. you know, putting them down and tracking them. So, uh, Adam, thanks. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Is there any, uh, any other things you'd want to, you know, teach the business owner community or the sled community that you're excited about or that has been a breakthrough, uh, or for anyone who wants to start a lodge? Uh, <laughs> what, uh you know, what, what if, any parting comments? I, I, I think my, my mantra over the years, and I may have highlighted this a little bit as we chatted here has been one day at a time. And, and that can be for business owners. That can be for your personal life, but, in, in, in the business world, many days are overwhelming. Um, but I've always woke up in the morning and I think to myself, what do I need to do today? And it doesn't mean I don't have long-term plans or think about like planning ahead and those type of goals, but many times to keep mentally strong and on point, uh, it's what do I need to do today? And then I go to bed and I wake up the next morning and I say the same thing. And that, uh, that's, that's got me through. Um, so yeah, chase chase your passions and take her one day at a day, one day at a time, and you'd be amazed what can happen. Tony Robbins says um, most people underestimate what they can accomplish in ten years, but overestimate what they can accomplish in one. So be patient. You'd be amazed where you can be in ten years. Well, the lodge is definitely a testament to that. And uh, you know, where can people find more information on the lodge? on the things you guys are offering, uh, where do we find you? You betcha. So www.grizzlylodge.ca is our website. And then at Grizzly Lodge on Instagram and Grizzly Lodge Pukiashin Mountain on Facebook. Those are kind of our primary channels. Uh, if you haven't been to the lodge, you need to give it a shot. Uh, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And snowmobiling is what gets you there but you come back for the experience. That's what many, many of our guests find. They, after, after a couple trips there, they go, we don't even care about the sledding. That's why we're here, but we just love the experience of the lodge, the food, the staff. Um, and we love hosting people. So we'd love to have you. It is uh, very, very true and uh, definitely a bucket list item. And you'd say, okay, well, if I was, uh, you know, you went to Grizzly Lodge a couple times and you had, uh, you know, X amount of dollars less in your bank account, uh, at the end of the day, would that have been a great experience instead of having more money in your bank account and no experience? And that's a great, uh, great way to finish on what is wealth. And, uh, I look forward to our next podcast, Adam, and maybe, uh, we could do problem solving one-on-one with equipment and sleds. And I'm sure that you got lots of stories, uh, there as well. So yeah, thanks absolutely. Thanks for your time, Dustin. You're welcome. Cheers. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate the show, share with a friend, or use your new knowledge in your next conversation. If during the show something gave you a pang of inspiration, motivation, or sense of uncertainty, act on it now. Get the clarity you're looking for. Find the permission you seek. Go to servicewealth.com to discover how others are learning how to take Fridays off, or buying a recreation property, or spending more money. If you're an organizer of an event, Where you believe my philosophy on finance and lifestyle design would be applicable, go to servicewealth.com and book me as a speaker at your next event. If you want a copy of our new book coming out soon, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook and we will be sure to get you a first copy.